0: So as we open up to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 4 through 10 this morning. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, you can take that Bible. It is now your Bible. It's not stealing. You can't steal Bibles in this church. Well, unless they're mine. But I mean, (coughs) they're yours. So 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 4 through 8 with you. We'll be in 4 through 10, I believe. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 7, now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Father, this morning we come before you and we ask that you would... Speak to your church, God, through your word, that you would illuminate those things in our hearts and minds that would bring greater, greater clarity uh, regarding you and your son in our place, in your kingdom, in this great salvation we've received. I pray that every stone and every heart would be turned over, Lord. Every person in this room would come face to face with the rock And I pray that many would come to know you, and they would not stumble, and they would not be crushed, and they would not be rejected, but they would find life as the rock has been struck for them. And so, God, this morning, as we look at this beautiful picture, we ask that you'd be honored in our hearts and our minds, and so do your thing, Lord, this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. In verses 4 through 5, Peter says, As you come to Him, living stones, uh, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious, precious to Him, uh, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to give those uh, your holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, as you remember from our time in 1 Peter so far, Peter is writing to a group of believers who have been persecuted, are going to go under persecution for following Jesus Christ. They, are, they have been rejected by the world around them as they have chosen to be obedient to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Peter's mind, it is really important for them to know that although they have been rejected by the world in this life because of Christ, they ultimately will not be put to shame. They will not be put to shame. And so Peter is seeking to illustrate who Jesus is to both the believer and the non-believer. Who is Christ? He is the one that every single one of us will have to reconcile our existence with. Jesus Christ The whole world will stand before Jesus Christ, no correction, will bow before Jesus Christ and declare that He is Lord, either willingly now or willingly then in a different way. (laughs) And we pray that it is now, and that is why we preach the gospel, that Jesus Christ died to reconcile sinners to God. And so Peter is seeking to illustrate who Jesus is, to both the believer and the non-believer, and the unbelieving world around those believers. And he does so by drawing from Old Testament prophecies concerning the stone and cornerstone. And if you're this morning you're going great, we're going to be talking about rocks this morning. Yes, we are. And they are the best, that's the best rock you could ever talk about. And so this is important. And Peter's mind, as he begins to, as he continues to chisel away at their thinking, as he begins to shape their understanding of who Christ is and their relationship to him, their great salvation, and as they embrace him, as they accept him, as they are one with him, as, as he was rejected, they become rejected. And what, how all that works together and so, in verses four and five, Peter says, "As you come to him, as living uh, the living stone, he calls him the living stone." In the Old Testament, God is identified as the rock or the stone. How many of you guys know that? The rock or the stone? Yeah, absolutely. For example, in Deuteronomy thirty-two three through four, Moses is writing. He says, "I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Praise, oh praise the greatness of our God." Verse four: He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And so he paints God as this immovable just force of, of righteousness and goodness. It's interesting Moses calls God the rock, but as you kind of move further in the history and as you look at things uh, in in Exodus 17, the rock is comes into picture as a a deliverer. And that's the idea that when you think of the rock, you think of a deliverer. And this gets developed through the Old Testament. The Hebrews are in Horeb after escaping Egypt in, in Exodus 17. There was no water to drink. They started complaining. They began to complain. The Lord told Moses, hey, take the elders and take the staff that you struck the Nile with and go out to the rock at Horeb. And so obviously there was a giant rock there. He said to strike it. And so he took the staff in front of all the people and he struck the rock with his staff and water came pouring out and the millions of people, the two million people estimated, drank their fill and their life was sustained because the rock was struck. King David, who was chased by King Saul at Nazi, just all over the place uh, for no reason whatsoever, he found refuge in the cave of Adullam. We read Psalm 34 last week a little bit, uh, speaking of that refuge and the deliverance of that cave. Uh, as he went into that cave, that ultimately became a, a picture, an idiom for the refuge that we have in God. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He's our salvation. So Psalm 18:2, familiar to some of us. The Lord is my rock, David says, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That is God to King David. He is like that cave he ran into and was able to escape all the terror that was seeking him. It was his salvation, and he sat there in that cave and said, this is who God is to me. He is my deliverer, my refuge, my shelter. He would go again in Psalm 62, 5-8. through eight. By the way, this is all through the Old Testament. I'm just taking a few. Psalm 62, 5-8, through eight. David says, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Are any of you weary this morning? Are any of you needing rest? Is your soul overwhelmed? Truly, he says, truly, verse 6, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Amen. So when Peter is writing to many believing Jews, many of these people are Jews who would have had a deep understanding of the Old Testament, when Peter says to them, verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, the living rock, they knew what Peter meant. They had come to God, not for refuge from total circumstances, but refuge from the wrath of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible declares. We're all condemned, waiting for the judgment of God. And God provided a way of escape through Jesus Christ. And those who run into Him are safe. But there is no other rock, there is no other salvation, there is no other way that men can be saved nor find refuge, it is through him alone. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he speaks of that same rock that was struck in the wilderness by Moses when he says, in verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food, speaking of those who left Egypt, right? And they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Just as that rock was struck in the wilderness and life-sustaining water came out, so Christ was struck down on the cross, and from Him, life came forward to those who choose to drink, freely given to anyone who would come to Him. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you know, you're going to thirst again if you keep drinking this water but I have water that you have no clue it's about. It's living water. She said, give me some of this living water. And then they had a discussion about the Messiah, and basically the living water was standing before her. And you go through all these pictures of the Old Testament, the bread of life, the water, it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. Spiritual food. This is why in John 6, uh, many left him because Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, There is no life in you, basically. And they go, physically eat of your flesh and drink of your blood. What are you talking about? We're leaving you. You're crazy. And he said, that's your choice. Do you choose to come and get your life from me? Christ is the life. He is the way, the truth, and life of all men. And so... Jesus is the living stone, the Son of God, rejected by humans, but chosen and precious to God. Rejected by humans, but precious to God. And that's who Jesus Christ is. Chapter 1, verse 20 in 1 Peter, he says He was chosen before the foundation of the world. He was chosen and He was precious. He was, he was rejected by humans, chosen by God, rejected by humans and he was precious to God. The idea of precious there in the Greek, if you get to it, it means, uh, it means prized, rare. But if you, if you dig into it, it just means of unequal value. Unequal value. That, co- that conveys the idea properly of what it means, precious to God. He's of unequal value. And Peter's saying that Jesus Christ He is like a living stone that is of unequal value. He was rejected by men and chosen by God. And in verse 5, Peter says to this group of rejected and persecuted Christians, you also like living stones. You also like living stones are being built into a house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When a person is born again, when they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, when they come to the rock, the living stone for deliverance, for salvation, they receive his life. They receive his life. That is how you have life. It's his. It's not yours. He gives it to you. His life. That's why you are born again. His life becomes your life. And Peter has already explained to them at the end of chapter 1 that they weren't born again of natural means by their parents. They were born again by the eternal Word of God, spiritual means. In other words, they became children of God by the Word of God going into the hearts, and God made them born again. His Spirit now dwells in them. And Peter says, uh, you are also like Him, You have the same nature as him now. You are not God, but you are of him. It says you are rejected just as he was rejected, rejected by humans, but chosen and precious to God. That is what Christ is. He's rejected by men, but he is precious and chosen by God. And by the way, if his life is your life, you are precious, brothers and sisters, in Christ That is who you are, precious in Him, of unequal value in Christ. Hmm. You are rejected, Peter's saying, but you are chosen and you are precious. And by the way, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer these sacrifices that are acceptable to God. It's interesting that the word for stone here in Greek, it it can just mean stone, which is great, but often it's used to mean a building stone. That's, That's most of what it's used in the New Testament. And this is the imagery that Peter is, is beginning to use to describe our relationship with Christ and how we function in our relationship with Him. Now, you might be going, okay, well, Lord, could you choose a, a better illustration? Listen, at many different ways, many different ways, well, listen, how many of you have kids? How many of you, how many of like one learns one way and one learns another? You know, and you're just sitting there and you keep telling both the same thing and one just is like, I don't get it. The other one's like, oh, yeah, you're speaking my language. Well, the Lord kind of does the same thing with us. He just, he takes different ways and kind of explains different facets of the same truth. And so we kind of wake up to the reality of what's truly going on. And that's really what Peter's doing here. But the apostles, they take several different images, imagery, so that we understand our relationship to God our relationship to God, our new born-again life in Christ. And they use the picture of a bride. How many of you the, are the bride of Christ? Well, what does that mean? Well, that kind of has some imagery to it, doesn't it? Pure, holy, waiting on your bridegroom, kind of expectant, if you go into the whole Jewish wedding type of thing. So there's, there's imagery that, that's trying to be conveyed there. They also use the illustration of the body. We know that from 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and all those, those wonderful chapters. This talks about the unity of And the diversity within the body of Christ, because you are one body, yet you have many parts, and they all function together for a purpose, and it's, by the way, at what the head says to do, hopefully, right? And Jesus is our head, and so that imagery is used. There's others, like a family family and a flock of sheep, and all these different images they use to try to describe our relationship to God in Christ Jesus. But the other one that is used is that of a building, a spiritual building. It's it's used often, Revelation here, other places. And Peter says, you are living stones built into a spiritual house where spiritual sacrifices are offered and accepted through Christ Jesus. So great, you're a building. That's what you need to know. You're a building. But it's a spiritual building. And again, Peter is using this Old Testament imagery. How many of you are familiar with the Old Testament, all the imagery there uh, regarding the temple? When Peter is saying you're being built into a spiritual building, instantly a lot of these Jews, their minds would go back to the temple in Jerusalem. That is the spiritual building that they would have in mind. They're thinking of that spiritual building. That physical temple, the temple was built of massive stones. The, the foundation of the temple was built upon foundation stones. And everything that was on top of that had to be in alignment with what those stones were. I've been in Jerusalem, I've been down below the east, the the western wall, down into the belly into the where you can actually see the foundation stones of the original temple. And they are as big as this stage across. I mean they're 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 massive. They're like twelve feet, whatever they use meters over there. They'll catch up. But I mean, (laughs) you know, it's it's huge, right? (laughs) They're huge. Massive stones, foundation stones. Everything else was piled on top of that, built on top of that, and and that whole structure, the whole temple compound, the the whole premises was was architecturally laid out in a, a masterful way. It was one of the seven wonders of the world or one of the marvels of the ancient world. And the temple, although it was a massive group of stones and they were built upon one another, everything, when it was complete and put in its place, it had a function. And the function was that the priests would go into that place and offer sacrifices of God, that the true worship of God would take place in that building. It was a spiritual building. It wasn't a bar, it wasn't a restaurant, it wasn't your house. It was a spiritual building. That was the idea of the physical temple. And what made the temple unique above all other buildings? What made the temple unique is that the Spirit of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies of that temple. You had the temple grounds, you had the inner courts, you had all these other places, then you had the actual temple proper, and then in the temple, it got kind of the holy place for all the showbread and all that stuff, but then there was the special room, which was the Holy of Holies, set set aside by a veil. It was separated by a veil, and within that was where the very presence of God would be, and the high priest would meet with him once a year. In that place. But that's what made it separate, is that the Holy Spirit dwelt within the temple. And so the priests were there ministering to the Lord day and night, offering the various sacrifices that would be acceptable to God on behalf of the people. And this is the picture that would have been in, Pe- in, in, in Peter's, uh, uh, the group's mind, right? Of that physical temple, how all the stones were placed together. The disciples marveled at that. They said, "Look at all this place." as they were leaving on that last week before Jesus was crucified, they said, "Look at this place. Look at all the stones." And Jesus said, "Not one stone will be left upon one another. But how all those stones were placed in relation to the foundation so that the building could be built so that the worship of God would go forward. That was the idea. Peter's saying, "You're like those stones. You know that? You're like those stones, but you aren't being built into a physical temple you are being built into a spiritual building where the Holy Spirit would dwell. This is the church. We are the spiritual building of God. That is what we are. We are the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was in a physical building. In the New Testament, under the New Covenant, through Jesus Christ, God no longer dwells in that physical building. It's not even there, but if they can rebuild it, He's not going to be there. He dwells in His people. He dwells in the church. He dwells in you. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3:16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Don't you know, and I could fill in your name right now, that you are God's temple and his Spirit dwells in your midst? all that separation from man in the Old Testament, behind a veil, behind the priesthood, all these things, people could not access God through Jesus Christ. The veil was torn, and now the Spirit is in the heart of a believer. Can't even comprehend that. The word for temple there, don't you know yourselves that God's temple dwells in our midst? You know, Uh, I'm sorry, that... That you are God's temple and the Spirit dwells in your mind. That word for temple is the word for holy, holy. It's not temple grounds; it's temple proper. It's that's where God's very presence dwells in you. God is not confined to a room, church. He now dwells in the hearts of his people. In his church, the church is the place where God dwells. Do I have to say this fifteen different ways? (laughs) Just trying to, you know, still do the. We are that spiritual building. You don't go to church. You are the church. Amen. You are the church. Do you know that? You are the living stones being built into a spiritual building. Now, what is the purpose of the temple? It's so the priest could minister, correct? So the true worship of God could happen. It's as if we're we're, we're trying to think three-dimensionally in its quantum worship. God's us- he's using a, a physical picture to illustrate a spiritual reality. We're the building, we find out, but yet we're also the priest. Peter tells us in verse 5 that what? This is where the holy priesthood offers offerings. And later in verse 9, he says that we are those priests, those who believe in Christ. And so, just as we are the spiritual building, we are also the spiritual priesthood that operates within the building. Again, this is imagery Peter's using so we understand our relationship to Christ. It's important. He wants us to know this. We are a holy group of people through whom true and acceptable worship is offered to God. No other group of people on earth, only those who are part of the church. Isn't that wild? And as I taught in the church this summer, you can go to church and you can do all the functions of the church, but unless you are born again, you are not a part of the church. You don't come to church through a door that's physical. You come to church through the door of Jesus Christ. And that door is open. He calls for anybody to come in and receive repentance. Baptism, being baptized into the body of Christ, the door is wide open. Repentance, faith in Christ, and He receives you, makes you born again. If you've yet to be born again, the Spirit is pulling on your heart saying, that's you. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Repent, which means turn from your sin and turn towards God in faith and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin and that he rose again, and you will be born again. That's the promise of God, Romans 10.10. So to help us understand what it is a priesthood, now I know we're getting into this real quickly, but if we are priests in the new covenant, what does a priest do? Yeah, how many of you have been given a position you have no idea what you're supposed to do? Marcus, don't raise your hand. Anybody else besides Marcus? (laughs) Tasks as required. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? How many of you like, okay, well, I'm a Christian. I have no idea what it means to be a Christian. Okay, I'm a priest. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to offer spiritual sacrifices? Because God requires it, right? That's what he's called you to. And so... What, is it, what did the Old Testament priesthood... If we know what the Old Testament priesthood is, we'll, we'll kind of have a picture of the New Testament, right? Of what, who we are. And I love what uh, John McCarthy, he laid out six things about the priesthood I picked up from him. So the, I'll just read them off real quickly. The first is that a priest was chosen by God. I love that. A priest was chosen by God. You can read about that in Exodus uh, 28. Uh, God choosing Aaron and his sons. But you, you couldn't say, hey, I want to be a priest. You can't say, hey, I want to be a priest. You had to actually be born a Levite, and then you had to go through a situation where you were actually chosen to be a priest. So that was interesting. Secondly, priests had to be cleansed from their sin before they began their service, Leviticus 8, 6-36. In other words, they were set apart from sin towards the service of God. Thirdly, (coughs) they were clothed for service. (coughs) Excuse me. Priests wore strange clothes, did they not? They they had strange clothes, and they're described in Leviticus 8, 6 through 36. But in other words, I'm sorry, uh, Leviticus 8, 7 through 9, And they were distinct clothes, and those distinct clothes said things. Their undergarments symbolized sexual purity. Their clothing uh, symbolized righteousness and holiness and all these types of things. In other words, they were clothed to be priests. Fourthly, they were anointed for ministry. If you remember the anointing going down the beard of Aaron, and they would take blood mixed with, mixed with oil, and they would put it on the priests, and this was symbolic of their cleansing, and also the empowering and the resting authority of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. Fifthly, they were prepared for service. Although they had gone outwardly, to do all the purification things. It's interesting that in Leviticus 9, 2 through 4, it says you gotta wait seven days before you actually do what you're supposed to do. They had, they had been outwardly pure. They had been already, they had gone through all the things they were supposed to do. Now that they could be a priest, they were technically cleansed. But now he says, now wait seven days. Why? Preparation of the heart. The preparation of the heart. Sixthly priests were called to obedience. Obedience. It wasn't their role to determine how God was to be worshipped. Isn't that interesting? You figure they would have some sway. They're like, "Ah, I don't like that sacrifice today. Let's do this sacrifice today. Right? What do you think happened to Priests like Nadab and Abihu decided to do it their own way, the sons of Aaron. They got smoked. They did. Fire fell from heaven and roasted them. And just to think, just to think, you know, okay, well, that's Old Testament. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter, was it three or whatever it is? Five? Thank you. What happened? Toast, both of them saying that they were worshiping in a certain way, but they really weren't. It's about the heart. Pretty crazy. So you see those. So they had gone, uh, you see these. A person, a priest was chosen. They were cleansed. They were clothed. They were anointed. They were prepared, and they were obedient to God. And you can see the parallel that's making, making with us. We are priests, you were chosen and born again into a spiritual priesthood of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. You were cleansed. We were cleansed from our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. We were clothed in his righteousness, and we're to be clothed with good works. We are anointed with the Holy Spirit as God's power and his presence is with us, in us, and upon us, and overflowing. We have His authority. We are those whose hearts have been prepared to serve Him, and we are to be those who love and obey Jesus Christ. We are obedient to the glory of God, right? And those priests, those were the priests, right? We are now called to a priestly ministry, which Peter in verse 5 says is offering those spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you walked in this morning, you did not know that you were part of the ministry. Did you know that you are now, you're now a minister of the New Covenant? You are technically a priest in God's kingdom. Do you know that? You are. You got promoted when you decided to receive Christ as your Savior. You are now in the priesthood of believers. And you have an office. And you have a calling, and you have an authority, and it is all wrapped up in the true worship of God. And that's what he's telling them. You've been rejected by all these people and all these things. These things are going on, but you have been chosen and called by God, and you are set apart to be his special people, and you have a special purpose, and that is to declare his praises in the midst of it all. What does that look like? What are the acceptable acts of worship that we are to give? What are those acceptable sacrifices? The priests in the Old Testament, they offered animals. I know some of you have some animals you'd like to get rid of. That is not what we're talking about, right? (laughs) Neighbor's animals, sure, no. That has nothing to do with it. Animals are Old Testament. All those things actually focused forward on Jesus Christ. Those things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system is done. But the worship of God is not. And God requirement his requirements concerning the sacrificial system were fulfilled in Christ, but God is not interested in those. The true and proper of worship of God in his church is what is now in view through a new priesthood. And we are the priests of the new covenant. And now God desires that we offer him those acceptable sacrifices. What are those? Write them down. Let me give you four. There are many more. The first is in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Many of you are familiar with that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's what? His mercy, His deliverance, the the, the fact that you ran into the rock and were saved, and the fact that you're born again, that you've been all of chapter 1, don't want to preach it to you, but to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and what? Pleasing, or what does some of your versions say? Acceptable to God. This is your what? True and proper worship. Verse 2, just because I like it, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing perfect will. And so I just want to tie that in there because I like it. But Paul says that offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is true and proper worship. As priests in the kingdom, the kinds of sacrifice that God is looking for begins with offering your bodies to Him what does that mean? It means your physical body is set apart for his purposes and his kingdom. It means your mind and your thinking is to be holy and set apart for him. Your mouth is to be holy and set apart from him. We all know that comes from the heart anyways, James tells us about that. Your, your emotions are to be submitted to his will, all these types of things. You Your body, you, all the things that that encompasses are offered to God. How many of you woke up this morning and said, God, I am yours? And notice it's not a dead sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice is it? A living sacrifice. How many of you woke up this morning and said, God, I am yours? Have my mind, have my heart, have my body, have every part of me. I am yours. My life is worship to you. You see, that comes up before God, that is good in His sight, is pleasing to Him. That's the kind of sacrifices you want, because that's a living sacrifice. Death is dead sin, rejection of God, unresponding to God's Spirit, none of that stuff. The new life in Christ is now, we live for Him. Amen? Amen? Secondly, Hebrews 13.15, and we'll do some other verses in Hebrews, so flip over to Hebrews 13.15, it's probably on the board up there. It says, "Through through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of what? Sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly what? Profess, profess His name. Amen. So, this is not mouthing praise the Lord. What do you think this is? Continually. Having a heart that says what? I love you, thank you. Do we have a praise problem? Can't find that, can you? Isn't it weird that we, as the church of the living God is redeemed, it's, we struggle, I'm talking about me personally, I'm in there, we struggle to find reasons to praise the Lord. Isn't that weird? You know where that comes from? We don't know Him. We don't know Him. And I, I'm convicted by this in my own in my own life. It's it's interesting because I haven't been a big because I'm a musician. I haven't been a big fan of the Psalms. I kind of got burnt out on them. That's you know that's a whole art heart issue. Don't ever listen to that. And Christine's just loves the Psalms, and God's just revived a joy in my heart for the Psalms, and it was connected because we've been going through. First Samuel and David's encounter and, and it had to be connected in reality to me and so as I'm watching David and what he's going through and it's connecting with Psalms, I'm like, yes. But open up Psalm 1 and instead of trying to go, what about me? Look at an attribute of God. They are all over the place and that's what causes worship. When you find out who he is, it causes your heart to cry out to him if you're born again. Read Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, Psalm 4. Just go through and just underline and look at all the attributes of God, who He is, what He does on our behalf, all those things, and it causes you to cry out and to praise Him. The church has a praise problem. It's not because we need to manufacture the praise. It's because we need to know the King. Get into the Scriptures. Open the Word. Look at what He's done for you and begin to praise Him. Practice it, church. And so when I'm saying, hey, let's let's have a praise service, what am I talking about? You worshiping the true and proper worship of God, the sacrifices of the church. Yes, it's in a public arena. That's okay. There's a place for that. We're having a place for it. But that is just an expression of what's happening in your daily life with him. Driving down the road, said, God, you're so good. Thank you for the, this beautiful, foggy day. I was. I was praising him. I said, Lord, you could have kept the veil over my eyes your whole life like this fog. This morning, I was thinking of reasons to praise him because I'm trying to practice what I'm preaching, right? Hey, Conviction. Starts with me, right? And I was going, Lord, you know, it's so foggy, you can't see anything. You could have kept yourself from me. I would have never have known your son. But you lifted the veil and you, and you shone through and just praise you. Thank you so much for that. And let me tell you, I didn't want to. It's a sacrifice of praise. But as I began to praise him, my heart changed And the spirit began to dominate instead of the flesh. And my heart was given over to the praise and worship of God. Amen? Not lip service, heart service, right? Thanksgiving. Hebrews 13, if you look at verse 16, it says, And do not forget to what? To do good, and what? And share. Do not forget to do good and share, for with such, what, sacrifices, God is what? He's pleased. This pleases the Lord, church, when we, as the priesthood, do good and we share. Doing good is sharing those spiritual, is a spiritual sacrifice that is pleasing to God. That is our ministry. To do good means you can reprove someone to correction. You can encourage someone. You can give to someone. You can help them out. You can pray for them. You can lift them up. You can, you know, it's just just do good. These things are acceptable to God. I want to move quickly through these, but also giving. He says to share. Share is giving out of your resources for someone else. Sharing is good. Good. Sharing is giving of your time and your talent and your treasure to meet someone else's needs. Giving or generosity is acceptable praise. Paul was at the receiving end of a very generous gift in Philippians 4.10. It appears he didn't even really want it. He didn't even really need it. Isn't that wild? He didn't even want the gift. But Paul was so encouraged and so blessed because they were giving they were sharing. They were sacrificing. That's what was encouraging to Paul. You know? Paul says in Philippians 4.15, he says, Moreover, uh, as you know Philippians, as you Philippians know, in, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except y'all. Right? Except them. Paul saying, no one helped me out at all except for you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid. I was at another church, and you sent me help, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) You sent me aid uh, more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. Now, that can come across wrong, but Paul has to teach them in every moment. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be accredited to your accounts, that's what was more important than him being taken care of was that they were giving why is that important cuz paul had learned to make a deal with a base and a bound with plenty or or little that's that's kind of his life He's i can i can deal with anything he's learned that he desired that more credit would be to their account meaning that every time they gave sacrificially god it was to god it was an offering before him, and God remembered it. He was keeping track, and on that day, they would be repaid. Isn't that wild? You know I don't preach on giving and stuff, but it's biblical. The church should be giving to a fault. Isn't that wild? We should be givers. That's what we should be known by, even if people don't need it. Look at Paul. Why? Because it's good for our hearts. It honors the Lord. Amen? What happens when you hold on to it? It does something to you, doesn't it? Paul goes on, verse 18. He says, I have received in full in payment. I've had more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And now here's the verse everybody knows. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And then that doxology, to God and Father be the glory of forever. Their sharing, their generosity, their giving and their resources to meet Paul's need was a fragrant offering that was acceptable to Christ. It goes on and on, okay? We're going to end it up. Church, we have come to the living stone. We have entered His refuge. We have received His great deliverance, our great salvation. Amen? Now we are like living stones, like Him, precious in the sight of God. And we, the church of Jesus Christ, are being built into that spiritual building where we, as ministers of the new covenant, as priests, are offering those acceptable sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And Peter says in verse six, for in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. We'll get to that next week. You're a spiritual people with a spiritual call in your life. And the Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning to offer sacrifices that are pleasing to him. Respond to your God and worship him as you go, amen? And enjoy the fellowship that we have with him, ministering with him around his people. Whether in this little fellowship or wherever we might be scattered throughout, you are the church. He is in you, he's with you. And may he bless you this week, amen? Lord God, we do come before you and we humble ourselves. We want to thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord. A little bit hard to understand in some ways, Father, but Lord, never really considered myself part of the priesthood, even though I'm a pastor. And I know the church probably is just going, well, okay. But Lord, you decided to, put this in your holy scripture and it is good that we would know that you are the rock and we are the little stones and you are doing something with us and it is all wrapped up in your glory, in your fame, in your worship, that your name would go forward by what we do and how we do it, that our bodies would be laid down before you, that you'd have our minds and our mouths and our actions, Lord, that you would have our hearts. You'd have our pocketbooks, Lord. You would have our resources, Lord. You would have every part of us, that we would be those living sacrifices, resurrected from the dead, uh, deadness of sin and death, Lord. And so, Lord Jesus, bless your church. We ask that this would be a place where your spirit would desire to dwell, not this building, but this church, these believers. And this morning, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, now is the time. Open your heart to Him. Call out to Him. He will come into your heart. He will forgive your sins. He died on the cross. He will make you whole. If that's you, come up, talk to me afterwards. We'll pray together. I'll encourage you in the Lord. Don't resist Him. So, Lord, we commit this service to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.